Welcome to Bible study tonight. You all have your handouts. Was there a few left? Okay, great. If any others come out of the prayer room, you'll pass one out? Okay, good. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, which is at the end of chapter 4. We're going to reread the last few verses of the chapter before we head into chapter 5, a controversial chapter, or at least the first part of it is, uh, a potentially confusing chapter, and we'll seek to bring some clarity to it tonight and some deeper understanding as to what went on when two people in the early church died suddenly. But before we do, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We love when we have the opportunity and the privilege to sit before its open pages. And so I pray, word of God, speak tonight. Speak tonight, we pray. We're studying this book because we want to relive it. And I pray, God, that you would revive each and every one of us, that we would have our own fresh Pentecost, Lord, that you would fill us again, and Lord, we would sense your plan and purpose for our lives and for our church as we move forward. We ask it now in your wonderful name, amen. All right, let's pick up at chapter 4, verse 32. We'll read the paragraph because it sets the context for chapter 5, particularly the first portion of chapter 5. So chapter 4, verse 32 begins, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Some further study there reveals to us that they were um, unified in their belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So they had uh, a common belief and they were living in community because no one said that the things that they owned or that belonged to them was their own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon the early church. Great grace is upon us today. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses. Okay, as many of them as were owners. Who are the them? The number of believers. As many of them as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. Here's one such example, verse 36. Then Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But, so here we're going to see a contrast. Joseph sold a field, brought the proceeds, laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, along with his wife Sapphira, 
sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. We'll stop here for a moment. We'll look to the handout. In chapter 5, we are introduced to the first defection in the church. There will be many others, and all throughout history there have been defectors from the church, but this is the first recorded defection of the church. Defection is an interesting word. Uh, It simply means the desertion of one's country, or in this case, the desertion of one's cause in favor of an opposing one. That's why I find it interesting the chapter begins with the word but. Uh, but is usually used to, uh, to suggest that there's a comparison coming or something in contrast to what was just said before. So Joseph sold his field and, and brought the proceeds to the apostles. Ananias sold his field and brought the proceeds to the apostles. But there was a difference. Ananias kept some of the proceeds back and laid some at the apostles' feet. What's interesting here is, and we'll read it, we're never told that the people were required to give all the proceeds. The previous chapter just tells us that they sold what they had and they gave the proceeds. Uh, Whether it was all or some, that's what they gave. Ananias, on the other hand, gave the proceeds and laid it at the apostles' feet, but he gave a false impression, and that's putting it mildly. He lied to the Holy Spirit, is what Peter calls it, but Ananias gave a false impression, and that false impression was that he gave it all. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Meaning, he could have kept it if he wanted to. He was under no obligation. But Peter asks him, Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Here is what I believe to be an example of the gift of the Spirit. Uh, a word of knowledge. We're not told that Ananias, you know, announced to the apostles or to the other members of the church that he was going to sell this land and give it to the church or lay it at the apostles' feet. He may very well have. We're not told that he did. We're not told that he didn't. And so we want to just be faithful to what the book says, what the word says. And the word says that he sold it and he brought the proceeds. And it seems as though Paul knew right away that something wasn't right. And under the inspiration, uh, 
and direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he gives this word of knowledge. He asks, um, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself some of the proceeds? And then he says to him, wasn't it all yours to begin with? You could have kept or gave. It was your choice. Uh, And so let's pick up then. Verse 5. When Ananias heard those words, (laughs) he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. That was a quick burial. Following this defection, this desertion of a cause in favor of an opposing one, and that opposing cause was, of course, the cause of the enemy. Following that defection, Ananias drops dead. I can imagine Peter was surprised by this result. I don't think he expected that to be the result of this word of knowledge. I don't know if he had given words of knowledge before. I know he, he was um, preaching previous to this under the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not sure uh, that he had given a word of knowledge as such yet. Uh, he was used in the gift of healing. But here is potentially the first time he uses this gift and the person he uses it on drops dead in front of him. I can imagine he was uh, as surprised as anyone else that Ananias died. And so now he's left with the fallout of this word that was given and its consequence, which was the hearer, Ananias, dropped dead, died suddenly. Cause unknown, actually. The cause is known. We're going to find out about it in a moment. Verse 7, after an interval of about three hours. So I say this was a fast burial because it sounds like he was wrapped and buried within three hours of his wife showing up Seems quick. <laughs> Maybe he was laid in a tomb. I don't think he was. He was. Um, I don't think he was put in a hole. But either way, he was. He was laid to rest. He was still dead. So verse seven. After about three hours, his wife shows up, and she did not know what had happened. Can you imagine? Your husband dies, wrapped, buried, and you never heard about it yet. So not knowing what had happened, she shows up and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? So lying to the Holy Spirit, testing the Holy Spirit, These come with big consequences. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Now, Peter gets bold. He was probably surprised 
that Ananias dropped dead, but he basically pronounces it over his wife. The guys that buried your husband, they're going to carry you out as well because he says they are at the door and they will carry you out. Talk about an increase in boldness from one operation in the gifts of the Spirit to the next. Verse 10, Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And look at the response. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The church was the talk of the town at this time. And news of what was going on with these Jesus followers was quickly spreading across first century Roman Empire. And um, not only were the members of the church afraid and greatly afraid at what had just happened, but it says that everyone who heard about it was afraid. They heard that this married couple conspired together to lie to the Holy Spirit and to test him. It's obvious that these Christians, and I call them Christians because I believe that they were, and we'll talk about it in a few moments, but it's obvious that these Christians were not living on the high spiritual level that others in the early church were. This is evidenced by the fact that they were disciplined by God. A lot of times people say, well, Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't Christians, so of course, you know, what they did was wrong and God punished them for it. Uh, I mean, for us, this looks like the death penalty. It looks like punitive justice or punishment, but this is actually discipline. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira was disciplinary. Uh, they, they didn't have the privilege to learn from it and, and move on. They went straight home, but others who saw it, who witnessed it, who heard about it, not just in the church, but outside of the church, uh, came to understand that you can't just lie to Holy Spirit. You can't just test Holy Spirit, that there are such things as sins leading to death. Um, let's talk about God's discipline and God's correction. We have to remember that the punishment for sin was upon Jesus. Okay, so Ananias and Sapphira, they're not punished for their sin here. They're disciplined for their sin. Ultimately, it leads to their death. Uh, but they are not punished. Jesus bore the punishment for their sin. But God corrects those he loves. I'm using my ESV tonight, my study Bible. I'm not as fast in this one as my little King James Version. 
So you'll have to give me a moment. Here we are. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 8. It says, If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Let's go back to the previous verse, verse 7. Uh, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what a son, uh, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If we are left without discipline, then we are not sons. So that's why I believe Ananias and Sapphira were believers. I believe that they were saved. I believe that we will meet them in heaven one day. Uh, because I believe that they were being disciplined by God, but they committed a sin that led to death. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 5.12. We've read about this a bunch over the years, this sin that leads to death. 1 Corinthians 5.12. Actually, let's start at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In other words, you're not going to get away from these people in the world. They're everywhere. In order for you to not associate with such people, you would have to be taken out of the world. Verse 11, But now I am writing to you not, as, uh, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Look at this, verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge, God judges the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So, here we see judgment and discipline happening within the members of the church. And this is, of course, a very strong discipline, but it produces an incredible result, and that is that great fear came upon the church and all who heard it. If God was still doing this kind of thing, there would be a morgue outside of every church because every church has sinners in it. If God is killing sinners that show up at church, then there'd have to be a morgue outside of every church, but there's not. This is a specific instance. It's a one-time instance in that we don't read about anything like this happening again in the New Testament, but it's a severe instance of discipline so that people learn the lesson. There is a high uh, spiritual standard of living that needs to be adhered to. 
and um, especially in the early church when it's getting off the ground and this movement is beginning, there can be no corruption in it. It needs to be pure and undefiled. And, of course, it always is. The, the church of God is a, is a pure, spotless bride because God is always purifying his church through the cleansing agent known as the blood of Jesus. When they lied to the Holy Spirit, they were removed from the company of believers. They committed the sin unto death. That's what I wanted to talk about, the sin unto death. I got ahead of myself in the notes. Let's go to 1 John 5.16. We'll go from verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything in his name, he hears us. Uh, And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. Now, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, but there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that that one, I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that leads to death. Some connect this sin that leads to death with the unforgivable sin mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. More likely, though, John is referring to the stubborn refusal to accept the message of the gospel, which is the end-time sin of apostasy following the teaching of the Antichrists. So remember I said that this sin um, of Ananias and Sapphira was a defection. They abandoned one cause for an opposing one. Peter said, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you should contrive this or, or do this and lie to the Holy Spirit and test the Holy Spirit? So... I don't claim to understand everything that went on here, but suffice it to say, they committed what I believe is a sin or the sin that leads to death. And um, when you commit that sin, it's the last one you'll ever commit. <laughs>